0: Hello, thank you for downloading this Downtown Hope Sermon podcast. We're a faith-based community in the city of Annapolis, Maryland, orienting our lives around Jesus and exists to see the people of our city, region, and world thrive with the hope found in His gospel. Now, please enjoy the sermon podcast. As June mentioned, we are back in Luke. We just finished uh, our summer series through the book of Deuteronomy. And we now we resume our series through Luke's Gospel. Uh, Deuteronomy was a fantastic book to go through. We kind of high-level jumped through over the course of seven weeks. What was taking place? Looking at the law, looking at the various things God had prescribed, had prescribed, and at the same time we recognize there's there's some challenging, challenging if you will, uh, whether it's law, uh, commands, things that the people of God were called to do, and so as such. Uh, next week after the gathering we're going to gather for those that are interested in just walking through some of the difficulties in Deuteronomy Uh, what's in there um, and and then what is our response what are we supposed to do how is it applicable to us in today's in the contemporary times and so next week right after gathering we'll have a small meal anyone interested join us uh, and we'll dialogue and begin a conversation on Deuteronomy and then this Thursday we'll send something out just to kind of give a a read-ahead as it relates to some of the things to take note of in Deuteronomy. But this morning, we jump back in to Luke's gospel. Uh, And the title of our series is Fulfilled. And if you read the opening verses of of Luke, uh, Luke makes it plain that he's writing to Theophilus, and he says that you might know for certainty the things that you've heard. So there's an essence where there is truth that is floating around in that day and Theophilus is perhaps wondering, is it true? Luke says, I'm going to show you, I'm going to write that you might know for certainty. And one of the things that is clear throughout this path, throughout this book, is that Jesus comes in fulfillment of all that God had promised. And the last time we were together in uh, Luke, actually this might be a good time for a quiz. Right, it's back-to-school season. Who remembers what was the last sermon preached in Luke? Say again? Uh, <laughs> someone said it, I heard it. Prodigal son. Who said it? There you go. Prodigal son. We were in Luke chapter 4 for like 100 Monopoly dollars. Who preached it? Just joking. <laughs> it was Josh Young. Very good. Good, good, good. Yes, we were in Luke chapter 16 on the prodigal of uh, the, the prodigal son, some called the prodigal of the two sons, the father who lost his two children, but that was where we are, and in Luke, today we're in Luke chapter 16, I mean that was Luke chapter 15, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 15 was the parable of the, the lost son, and today we're in Luke chapter 16 uh, looking at the final parable in what I might call this trilogy of parables. And if, if, if Jesus were to do, if I may, uh, if he were to package these three, ser- these three uh, parables into a sermon series, I might title them, Don't Waste Your Life. Because in Luke chapter 15, we're introduced to a prodigal who wastes his father's possessions. And in Luke chapter 16, at the beginning, in verses 1 through 8, we are introduced to a dishonest steward or dishonest manager who wastes his master's possessions. And in our passage this morning, Luke chapter 16, will be in verses 19 to 31. We'll meet a rich man who wastes his own possessions. So I want to read Luke chapter uh, 16, verses 19 to 31. It will be on the screen behind me, and if you have your Bibles, uh, you could read as well. Luke chapter 16. Verses 19 to 31, it reads as follows. There was a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen, feasting lavishly every day. But a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was lying at his gate. He longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table, but instead the dogs would come and lick his sores. One day the poor man died, and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. Verse 24. Father Abraham, he called out, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am agony in this flame. Son. Abraham said, remember that during your life you received your good things, just as Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here while you are in agony. Besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you, so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot. Neither can those from there cross over to us. Verse 27, Father, He said, then I beg you, send him to my father's house, because I have five brothers to warn them so that they won't also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. Verse 30, no, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. But he told them, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, They will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. This is God's word. Let's pray. Almighty God, we are yours. And so we submit ourselves to your word this morning, trusting that you would speak with clarity to the depths of our hearts that we might respond in faith and in obedience to what it is you call us to be or or who it is you call us to be and what it is you call us to do. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we have in Luke chapter 16, this parable or this account, if you will, of the rich man and Lazarus. On one side, you have this rich man living lavishly, eating sumptuously. On the other end, you have a poor man. So if it's just these two people, this rich man and this poor man, if you were to assess your life, who do you most identify with? Are you like man? Are you living it up? Is, is life just grand? Or are you like the poor man? Not much, suffering and in agony. It's almost like you have two extremes of two different people, this rich person and this poor person. Well, not only how would you assess yourself, if we left Annapolis, if we left Maryland, if we left the United States of America and began to talk to people from other parts of the world, how would they identify you? How would they identify me? Would they see us living in the United States of America as being rich or would they see us as being poor? So we begin to unpack what's taking place in this passage. It's a challenge to assess the content in our hearts. You see, when we try to understand what's taking place, what Jesus is articulating between this rich man and Lazarus, it's quite easy for us to believe this is just a passage that's telling us about hell and what not to do. So you don't end up there. But it's actually not about that. It's about what's going on in our hearts. It's about what we love Most. When you look at what's taking place between this rich man and the poor man, and you look at the context from which Jesus is making a statement, it should be a wake up call for each and every one of us. Why does Jesus give this account? We find out in chapter 16, verses 14 to 15. The Bible says the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Jesus is saying there is a competing thing in our hearts of what we love most. Chapter 16, he says you can't serve God and mammon. He says there is a a challenge. And so one of the central teachings found in Scripture is that all of us are called on to love the things God loves in the way he loves them. And this is best summed up. We read it in Deuteronomy. In love God, love your neighbor. Jesus comes on the scene, and he's teaching us how to order what we love. And so one of the dangers, Jesus begins to go after As he teaches, he identifies that when we pursue material comforts and riches above everything else, when we make that the ultimate thing, we run in danger of being blinded. The pursuit of those things as the ultimate thing might actually blind us, rendering us unable to see to see needs, to see suffering, to see human dignity. And as such, there was a challenge. Don't be blinded by pursuing these things, because if we are, there's three things we'll be blinded to see. One, we'll be blinded to see how short life really is. Two, if we make these things the ultimate things, we'll be blinded to, we won't even see what actually is. And lastly, we'll be blinded in that we will fail to see the power of God's Word. We'll forget how short life is. We won't see how things really are. And lastly, we won't understand the power of God's Word. And so when our loves are disordered, when we are blinded, we forget that our time here on earth is short. And that's, that's just a hard reality. I mean, it's odd to me that there's this thing that happens that is so painful, right? My mom passed away last September, and as a kid, even as I thought my parents would be around forever, I couldn't fathom the reality that they wouldn't be around, that my mom wouldn't be around. But not just my mom. That's true for me. Life is short. And so we have this contrast between this rich man and Lazarus. Did you see the, the, what was ascribed to the rich man? This guy could dress. What's his favorite color? Purple. He was decked out. I should have <laughs> wore purple, but like, like that would have been perfect, right? <laughs> that would have just been perfect. Didn't take notes on my own sermon. He was decked out and purple. And it says he, he was lavishly eating How often? Every single day. Now, growing up in my mom's house, with my mom and dad, we would have what we called like uh, uh, the the big meal. And that'd be once every now and then. We definitely did it Easter, Thanksgiving, and and every now and then. So maybe three times a year, there was this big meal. Like today, we're gathering for a family meal. Maybe once, twice, at most three times in a year, This gentleman is doing it every single day. And then you have Lazarus. He's not feasting. He's desiring to be fed the crumbs from the party going on inside. You notice the rich man isn't named in this parable. He's just the rich man. That's that's all we know of him. But then there's something unique about us realizing that Lazarus, right? Of all the parables of Jesus, every parable Jesus ever taught, this is the only parable where a person is named. Read every parable. We have the Good Samaritan. We have the Publican. We have all these people, but no names. In this passage, for the first time, we get a name, so that must mean something. You see, the name Lazarus means the one whom God helps. But if we were a bystander walking the streets in that day, if we saw the rich man and if we saw Lazarus, who would we think is the one God is actually helping? I think too many times we define blessing with what you have. And we tend to speak in that vocabulary and it's often not helpful. Right. It's like, man, I'm blessed. Why are you blessed? Because and then we start naming the things we have. And we're implying that the person who doesn't have those things somehow is not blessed. That's not just, and that's just not the case. Whether I have or don't have, my identity is is, is rooted in who he is. So this rich man is living life, uh, as we would say back in the day, la vida loca. (laughs) Right? That is a song reference. Just checking. I'm, uh, that, that is a song, right? Just checking. Well, because last week Joyce named a song. He said, My pejorative, my prerogative. <laughs> Living la vida loca. But then, then what happens for, for both of these individuals? The Bible says they die. Did you see it in verse 22? The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side, the rich man also died and was buried. That is real for each and every one of us. We will unfortunately face the reality of the brevity of life. A hundred years from now, no one in this room will be walking around unless you are like doing something pretty neat that you need to share with the rest of the body. Fifty years from now, not so much of us will be around. Life is short, and if we pursue material comfort as the ultimate thing, we'll be blinded to how short it is. Death is the truth so many want to deny. Death is the great equalizer. And when the two men die, this poor Lazarus. Did you, did you notice the difference between his death and the death of the rich man? It just says Lazarus died. Of the rich man, it says he was buried. So even that's a stark contrast to these two individuals. That Lazarus, I mean, they, they were probably happy that this guy was no longer around. The Bible says they will carry him and bring him to the gate of the rich man, and he died. No, no grand funeral, no announcement in the paper. Probably the crowd was like, finally, this guy is out of the way. The rich man and Lazarus died. Lazarus is carried away by angels into Abraham's side, while the rich man ends up in Hades, where the hot flames leave him parched and desperate. This makes no sense. In a perfect reversal of their earthly circumstances, the rich man looks up and sees Abraham and sees Lazarus far away, enjoying every comfort and so as we go into this, we, we realize that the one we might actually think is blessed isn't actually blessed. This is Jesus' early, earlier teacher teaching, blessed are the poor in spirit. And so if we pursue, if we disorder our loves, it blinds us to the brevity of lovingly. It blinds us where we, we just don't see things as they really are. And the thing that's just fascinating about this rich man, he has no clue how bad his situation is. You see, while he was enjoying life, while he was alive, right outside of his gate was a poor man named Lazarus. And he made the decision to ignore his circumstance. He had to have seen him back and forth, passing by. And and we see the same thing, right? There's, There's just... People you see, and oftentimes we make a decision to ignore them. But even in death, the rich man still views Lazarus as less than equal. He still sees him as a servant. The rich man now, he's the beggar crying the cry of a beggar Have mercy on me. The rich man has become a beggar. You see, when Lazarus was in pain, he was ignored by the rich man now the rich man is in pain and something must be done about it and it must be done immediately what does the rich man say father abraham right and he's called, why does he call him father why does he say father abraham this is when that song should start ringing in your ears <laughs> abraham had many sons many sons at father abraham i am one of them that's what he's thinking <laughs> he doesn't get to so are you he just i i i've got to be one of the sons of abraham father abraham like like and then look at his cry he he says he demands like service he doesn't say father abraham there must be a mistake like what am i doing here get me out of here he says no father abraham uh, <clears throat> The one that I refuse to help in life, send him to me to bring me water. And you see the posture of the rich man, it doesn't really change. He says, send Lazarus to me, and then later on he's going to say, send them to my brothers. So he's blind to the reality that his predicament is that bad. His, his, his disordered love has caused him to fail to see, brother, you are in Hades. You are in Hades. Verse 25, but Abraham said, child, he's talking to the rich, man. remember that you in your lifetime received good things. And Lazarus, in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anger. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And that's that's just hard to hear. Here's the rich man, uh, just, just blind to the reality of his circumstance, and he doesn't realize, man, this, there's a huge chasm that exists, and, and the way you treated him, look at, look at what's taking place. And so it hurts me to see what God wants me to see. But when I begin to pray, God, give me eyes to see as you see, it hurts. Because when we begin to see as God sees, there was a call upon us to do something about it, Right? Like, if you see someone hurting, the next logical thing is to help that person. But if you see the same person over and over again, guess what? We get kind of tired of helping, right? It's like, you know, driving and you see someone on the corner and they have like a a, a bag or a cup and they need change. The first day, here's here's a couple of dollars. Second day, third day, we get kind of tired of that. It's a word for it. It's called compassion fatigue that we can be fatigued from helping other people. It's when we don't notice people anymore. To be only ourselves and what we have. Perhaps this is what happened to the rich, rich man. He chooses not to see what's right there in front of him in life, choosing not to see Lazarus and also in death, still sees him as a servant. And what was the reward for uh, Lazarus? It says he was comforted. When you read this, it doesn't say uh, because what was Lazarus' condition on earth? He had what? A lot of what on his body? A lot of sores. But the Bible doesn't say at Abraham's side he was healed. In which case, if that was the case, then Lazarus' main problems would have been his sores. It doesn't say at Abraham's side he is now well fed. If that was the case, that would indicate that the main problem that he faced was hunger. That was the focus of his suffering. Rather, the Bible says he is comforted. And so outside the rich man's gate, while on earth, Lazarus was in anguish. Now he is comforted. It means the source of the most painful evil that Lazarus faced was the treatment he received from those on earth. That laying there, everybody would walk by him in anguish and no one cared. And so when we, our loves are disordered, we're blind, we're blind to what's around us. And so I pray, Lord, what would it take for me to see Lazarus? And you notice the rich man knew his name. He knows who he is, but he chose not to do anything. The rich man sees him. Maybe the rich man does, like I often do when I see someone in need. I occasionally help that person out. But then after a while, I begin to try to say, What did they do to get themselves in that situation? And I start blaming them for their predicament. And so then I make up and rationalize in my mind why I do not need to help him. I might say, He's pretending. And sometimes TV messes me up. I don't know about you. Sometimes these TV shows just aren't helpful. TV shows that show me like someone that's pretending to be homeless just to get money. So now I think everybody does that. And so I'm rationalizing in my own mind. Maybe maybe he's on drugs and that's why he's in that situation. I dare not help him. If I give him money, he's going to use it for evil. So rationalizing in my own mind why I can choose to turn a blind eye, why I can ignore him. So that's the dynamic that takes place between the rich man and the Now, if we stop right there, we can make a big mistake with this parable or with this account. If we stop right there, we can draw a, a lot of wrong conclusions about what Jesus is trying to say. For example, you might read this parable or this account and say, Hmm. All right. If you're rich, you're going to hell, and if you're poor, you're going to heaven. Uh, right. So therefore, the 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 the, the um, application. Everybody, go be poor and go to heaven. Right. No one says amen to that. Right. You're like, yeah, Dave. I think you're reading that passage wrong. <laughs> right. Well, we, one mistake is that man. If you if you just do good on earth, help people in need. That's the problem. And then still. We would mess up. You you could read this and say, you know, God does not like rich people, but God likes poor people. That is not what this passage is about. You see, when you read this account, we think it's about the rich man and Lazarus. Who's this this actually about? who's, Who's the main point of focus in this account? The five brothers. It's not about the rich man. It's not about Lazarus. It's about the five living brothers. And this is where we get to that last point, that a disordered love causes us to doubt the power of God's word. Verse 27, and he said, this is the rich man, then I beg you, Father, send him, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. The rich man is concerned. He has five living brothers. The rich man's fate is sealed. He is in Hades. Game over. Lazarus is at Abraham's side. His, his, His fate is sealed. Game over. But the concern is I have five living brothers send him to warn them. That's the concern. There are people alive. This is not just about the dead and what happens after they die. This is about people living. It's about you. It's about me. It's about people living in the here and now. That's who the rich man is concerned about, his brothers. And and what is the answer? He says someone ought to go warn them. And what does Abraham say the answer is? He says they have Moses and the prophets. He says they have the word of God. They have God's word. In fact, they, 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 they know it. He knew it. He knew Abraham was his father. And herein lies the danger. It is quite possible for people to be around the word of God and to not do anything with what they hear. That's the challenge. We come week in, week out, we hear a lot of content, we gather information, but if we do nothing with that information, herein lies the problem. He says they have Moses and the prophets. He knows enough to call him Abraham, but he doesn't know to respond by loving his neighbor. That's the core teaching of the law and the prophets. Summed up, love God, love your neighbors. The five brothers are still alive. That's who Jesus is drawing attention to. He says they have God's word. And what is the rich man's response to God's word? Verse 30, no. He said no, that's, that's not enough. They have, the, the, they have Moses and the prophets. no. So the fundamental flaw with the rich man wasn't his money. The fundamental flaw with the rich man is he doubted the ability of God's word, and that's how it played out in his life, and that's how it is playing out in his death. Friends, the answer is still God's word. And so this parable isn't just about life after death. It's about life before death. It's about what we, the living, are doing with God's Word. It's about the people sitting at our gates. It's about responding to His call to love things the way He loves, to love things in the way God loves and the way He loves them. And so that's our challenge this morning, is to wrestle with that reality that I'm still living and have a responsibility to respond to God's Word. And there's this constant fight, this constant tug to disorder my love. And in so doing, it might blind me to the brevity of life. It might blind me to what's really going on. And it might blind me to the power of God's word. Let's pray. Father, what a delight it is to be yours. And, and what, a, what a challenge it is for us to not just be hearers of your word, to be, to, but to be doers as well. And so, Lord, in the few moments that we have, I pray that you would uh, just uh, cleanse our hearts that we might know what it is uh, to love you and to love our neighbor. And so, Lord, in looking at this account of the rich man, and Lazarus, Lord, just see them. May we also consider the five brothers. We might be one of them. And so, Lord, may we see the power of your love, of your word and in so doing respond in love. I pray and ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.